question. So you asked about, you know, sort of female or representation of women in, in politics or positions of leadership. I'm curious how people in your congregation um, or in the church community and the, the religious community view, um, you know, a woman leader, um, especially in traditional spaces where like women are not supposed to lead. Yeah. Um, how comfortable, I wonder, men are, if at all, to follow a woman's leadership and because clearly in the the political space or the corporate space or the nonprofit space public sector whatever it is they're not yeah yeah i i am going to give a shout out to my congregation because they are remarkable um i'll oh, just give you a little demo de- yeah <laughs> i'm a new part of nate's, the nate's, yes. a, nate's so a newbie in the fans. congregation so there you go but you know just a little demographic snapshot so you know once upon a time my congregation um, was sort of 95, 98% white, um, relatively affluent, straight congregation. Um, today, we are 40% people of color and 40% LGBTQ. And some of that overlaps, but some of it doesn't. So we are kind of a remarkable little, I would like to say, corner of the kingdom of God, um, in that we just kind of represent humanity at its most marvelous in, in some, or fabulous in, in many cases, um, as the case may be. But, but I think that, so I'm very spoiled because, uh, my leadership is, is completely embraced, um, by by everyone across the spectrum. I mean, frankly, we have an enormous rainbow flag outside our church. We have a sign that says Jesus didn't turn people away, neither do you, neither do we, and a giant banner that says no human being is illegal. If you don't know what you're getting into when you walk into our church, you have not been paying attention. That's right. So so I have to say we are an unusual congregation. I like to think we're the future, frankly, of the yeah. church. Um but I but I think that in all walks of life, if you are used to being the majority, if you're used to being the power broker, mm-hmm. it takes a tremendous amount of of kind of groundedness, comfort in your own skin, mm-hmm. and confidence in your self-worth to be able to relinquish that sort of societally given power. And there are a number of men that can do that mm-hmm. um, and that do do that. I'm married to one, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but I, I think that... Um, you know, part of it, Diana, is really just not apologizing for the leadership that we have, mm-hmm. you know? And we're so good at apologizing, right? We're so good at sort of making ourselves smaller so that everyone else is more comfortable with women in leadership. And I think we just have to own it, and we just have to claim it, mm-hmm. and we just have to be comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. And other people will respond, because I think the most important thing about a leader is that they believe in themselves and their skills mm-hmm. and, and what they have to offer. Yeah. And no matter what shape package that's in, that's something that's inspiring to people. Yeah. So there is, you know, there can be these hurdles, right, that we have to break through. Um, we've seen the body language in the room where we know that we've got a bigger job than the man next to us who's saying the very same thing. But I think if we can just, I mean, each of us around this table have reached a certain place in our lives because we know that we are that we are our authentic selves yeah. um, and I think that we just never have to lose sight of that yeah. and, and eventually the world catches up I am coming on <laughs> Sunday <laughs> oh no 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 you're watching Wait. the World Cup I am it's, it's World Cup Sunday <laughs> And we talked about this. Jesus would understand. Jesus would understand. He, he truly would. He truly would. I'm not going to tell you who he'd root for, but he would. <laughs> um, so real quick, I did want to um, – so this is a, a question that is unnamed, um, but I think 
again, I feel like we're answering the questions before <laughs> they're asked. Um, but I do want to want to put these questions out there yeah. um, because people wrote them, yeah. and uh, I want to give them voice. But so when it comes to breaking societal norms and gender roles, uh, what would you recommend to a man who has difficulty finding his place and role in a world mm. that he doesn't quite fit into? Mm. Um, and I think you you said it like allyship, um, being yeah. comfortable in your own skin, and yeah. that from. Yeah. Just I mean, from, oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's a, a marvelous definition of privilege that I think is so, you know, for me it was just mind-blowing. But it says that when equality for someone else feels like a punishment to you, you are privileged. Ooh. Ooh. So I think it's sort of recognizing that, um, you know, folks, the world is not a pie. You know, there's not, there's not you know, I get my piece, you get less. Right? There is enough access to what the world has to offer, right? Mm. There is enough. It's this myth of scarcity mm. that is inbred in, 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 frankly, a capitalist society, right? Because it's kind of a zero-sum game kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I think that one of the things to try and, and debunk is this myth that if I get my share, you have to get less. Mm. There, it, it, there is more than enough to go around. And there is more than enough power to go around. We can share it. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I, you know gain in my career and I find myself in a position where I can affect change or that I have some kind of authority, it doesn't take away from yours mm-hmm. as a man. Um, and again, it's that collaborative model yeah. versus the hierarchical model. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, you just kind of, I just kind of want to look at the men in my life who I love, um, even in the men in my life who I, who I don't know well enough to love, but mm-hmm. that, that, I, that I see the potential in is don't be frightened of a woman in power. Yeah. You know, recognize that there it can be magnified instead of diminished by that. Mm. So. so something. Oh gosh, hang on. Let's pause for a moment on that because that like fed <laughs> my soul. Yes, oh. I'm um, here. I'm like, <laughs> this is amazing. Was, uh, and you get equal pay. And you get equal pay. <laughs> we all get equal oh, pay. Um, so, D, you had been talking about it, but it was as I'm flipping through the cards, I noticed there was another question that you kind of addressed earlier as well. Yeah. Um, Josh, one of our um, new, brew, brew, new brew theologians, um, asked, even though most of our panel is white, so no offense, um, but do you have any thoughts on representation of women of color um, and the additional challenges um, and oppression that they face? Uh, yeah, uh, here we go. thousand percent. So, um, I'm going to start with checking my privilege, mm-hmm. um, an exercise that I really encourage a lot of people, um, to do. Um, you can, you know, YouTube this, Google this, um, checking my privilege exercises and videos, um, that do activities where you kind of learn about, you know, exactly what you were just sharing about, of, of what does privilege look like and it's not just gender and sex based um, it's not just racial as do it's also your sexual orientation your socioeconomics mm-hmm. your marital status um, as a person that's married um, and and in a heterosexual marriage mm-hmm. um, you carry a lot of privilege because you know you're in conversations with a lot of people it's like talking about oh yeah my wife and my husband um, oh yeah we're taking the kids up to so and so place so that's like an intersection with socioeconomics and you know um, heterosexual privilege so there's so much impact like ability or disability um, there's so much that's unseen and unspoken 
Um, so I will start with like, I, I didn't grow up poor just by virtue of, of growing up with all my needs met. Mm. I have a different narrative. Um, as a woman who presents like phenotypically, I have traits that are considered, you know, Eurocentric, um, from my nose, my height, my appearance. So I walk into spaces differently than, you know, um, my, my friend does who as, as an African-American woman, um, when she's pulled over by the, um, a police officer, she has an app on her phone, um, that activates uh, recording. Mm-hmm. So it starts to record. And I think the feature immediately uh, calls her husband, like a primary emergency contact. And so husband is on the line. It's recording. Officer is there at her window, asks for her license and registration. And she gives, you know, um, the caveat. It's like, officer, my wallet is long and it's black. Mm-hmm. And as she, it's like, I'm just going to go reach for my wallet. It's like, yes, ma'am. So Imagine and and mind you, she also. I remember she was working in Texas at the time when the issue when uh, Sandra Bland cl- uh, case occurred. Um, so that really hit home for her. So, what is what is just being pulled over by the police mm-hmm. for 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 a benign infraction, right? Like like you know, you, tail lights you, out, <laughs> tail yeah. lights out, something totally not even a big deal, right? right? And but you are already fearing for your life. You're already in a completely different mindset because of not just what you look like, but how people treat people that look like you. Mm. So it makes me think, holy crap, there's a whole lot of more baggage that I could be carrying if I looked different or if I loved someone different or if, you know, so and I don't need to be a black woman to understand that or to even just think about it and dwell in it for mm-hmm. a second, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I just, I can be me and you can be a dude and you can be straight and you could be cisgender and sit and just think for a second, what's it like to be disliked, yeah. hated, or immediately dis- you have your resume dismissed because your last name is... Uh, Mohammed uh, Velasquez Chung think about it mm. like think about it that that's real yeah. so I think um, if I were to have like one major takeaway for our listeners it would be start to get comfortable with the uncomfortable mm-hmm. absolutely talking about sexism talking about racism talking about prejudice and those things that we don't want to be associated with reality check. We're all guilty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are all guilty of bias. It's called implicit bias. You can Google that too. <laughs> <laughs> and just start getting comfortable with something that's so innate in human, in human traits mm. that it's um, we're all guilty. So now what do we do mm. to make it better? Yeah. And I think we talk about it. I mean, two two yep. amazing philosophers, one James Baldwin, one Mr. Rogers, um, both said something very similar. You know, James Baldwin said, if we can't talk about something, we can't fix something. 
Mm. Right. So as he was talking about naming, you know, the, the toxic racism, you know, of his era, which has not gone away. It is lessened. It's different. I mean, we're not living in the 1950s and 60s. And that's a good thing. Again, celebrate the victories mm-hmm. that we can celebrate. But it's real and it's here. And if we can't talk about it, we can't begin to really address it. Mm. And with Mr. Rogers, one of the things that he has said is, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. So whatever issues you are carrying, if you can put them into words, if we can name these things with each other, we can learn to manage them. You know, and those are sort of the, again, the hopeful small steps that we can take. And I do think it is, you know, being a, a person of, of tremendous privilege in, in, in many, many respects, you know, it, it is a conscious effort to become, number one, aware of it, and number two, be willing to, to check it. You know, and, 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 you know, if we think that's a bit exhausting, imagine living mm-hmm. with it oh, yeah. as that person of color, mm-hmm. as that person with less privilege. So it's a, it's a fraction of what um, our brothers and sisters are going mm-hmm. through. Can I add Go one, for it, yeah. one piece? Um, so I'm a daughter of Cuban exiles, and it's, it's interesting because... <laughs> By virtue of being born here, my experience is so different um, than what my parents went through. Um, And as any immigrant, um, I can't talk enough of how proud I am to be a daughter of immigrants. And, And for folks that migrate to a new country, and I was an immigrant, and I was an alien in a foreign country when I lived in Japan for many years. And it's so important to show love and compassion. Mm. If I can just bring it back to like Jesus for one second. <laughs> one, maybe. I think he's welcome around. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that I love or have learned about my Christian identity and faith and what I want to, want to be centered of my faith is acceptance. Mm. I truly see acceptance as a sign of of true love because I think God accepts us as we are and as he spoke to the woman at the well and and spoke to women as he would speak to a man (laughs) and and addressed equally in the same accepting with love and compassion and seeing you are like me you are no different and you deserve Mm. Dignity, mm-hmm. compassion, equality, just as I do. And I think that's a really good starting point to yeah. start with love, acceptance, mm-hmm. compassion, and the fact that we have to write laws yeah. <laughs> to sort of put that into place um, is very telling about our nature mm-hmm. and what we default to and what we have a right. bad tendency to go to. But it's a really good reminder. Mm-hmm as a really good starting point. So switching gears a little bit, um, there's a book by Colette Dowling um, called The Frailty Myth. She uncovers some evidence that um, essentially uh, there's very little physical difference between um, boys and girls and their bodies. The, the issue is that girls are trained before starting school to not use their bodies to their full potential. Um, in fact, studies have shown that it appears strength and physical skill for women are simply a matter of education and training. So relating to athletic competition, 
um, how does this change perception? Any thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I think confused first. So saying like, if, if, if there weren't these preconceived notions of how a girl should act at a young age, if like, if everything were equal right from the beginning, then physical capabilities and strength and speed and all that would be Mm -hmm. not as big as they are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I know, I feel like I, I threw a little bit of so a So this is arguing so. for socialization being more powerful than sort of biological. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, that right. the differences between men's bodies and women's bodies are. You said it as a, at a young age, mm-hmm. but I mean, again, and I am no expert on this at all, but, you know, once sort of puberty hits and the hormones kick in, yeah. you know, testosterone has <laughs> yeah. a have. very strong, <laughs> you know, muscle building component. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I again, I, I think that and I don't, I've not read this book, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't kind of know her larger thesis that she's arguing. But I think one of the traps we fall into is is. Seeing the differences between female strength, mm. agility, speed, and the differences between male strength, agility, and speed as uh, value different, mm-hmm. you know, as oh, yeah. right. So to me, I just kind of want to like blow out yeah. that paradigm yeah. and say, so different, okay, yeah. right? Not unequal, mm-hmm. different, mm. you know, yeah. different level, you know, I different see. different ways. I mean, you you were talking last night a little bit about how amazed some first time, mm-hmm. you know attendees at your games are like my gosh you guys you know it, you know the way you play the game the skill the the nuances the strategies the all this stuff it's it's amazing you know so so i i think we have to take it a step further and say you know it's really okay that feminine strengths the things that are uniquely mm-hmm. sort of ours as women are not less than yeah. they're just different and so you know, and again, I'm not a biologist, right. and I don't know what she's what yeah. she's arguing Neither from. Neither am I. I just read right. The, the but I, I I I can imagine that socialization makes a big difference mm-hmm. up to yeah. a point, right? Because we are, you know, through millennia, eons of evolution, men and women's bodies do kick in differently, mm-hmm. right? For evolutionary biological reasons, the problem is that we value them differently. We value the way. You know, men kick into their maturity and women kick into their maturity different. And to me, that's the problem. Mm. That's okay. what needs to that change. Was... So I, I'm actually going to push back a little bit because okay. yeah. I, I actually think um, there is a lot of credit to that, that argument where w- girls' bodies... We learned, I mean, Kelly just said earlier, she wasn't even allowed on a damn snowmobile. (laughs) Like, at at any chance. She didn't even have a chance to to, to hold, I don't don't know, is it like, um, um, whether it's a a steering wheel or I don't even know how it manages, but you didn't even have the opportunity to, to quote unquote, develop those muscles. So we, we, learn to we have to cross our legs we 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 have to um you know be poised we have to even our body language and how we have to enter a room enter a space have to um um you know sit when we're wearing a skirt um stockings our clothing is different our hair is different um so we have to walk through spaces differently um versus just I don't know if you know this uh, term called manspreading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we live close enough to New York City. We know what the subways yeah, are yeah. like. Okay, ride the subways. Exactly. Subways exactly. and buses. Right. I can't, or an airplane or any space where you're sitting, 
listen, I'm sitting and I paid 200, 300, whatever dollars I spent mm-hmm. for this airplane seat. Bro, you're, you, you get to, to spread you don't get both armrests. Listen, you, don't get both. you get one. You get one and I get one. <laughs> but like, why, why do you as a man, and, and, and I'm not, we are not going to get into biology here and say, well, we have something between our legs that needs, <laughs> needs air and space. Well, you know what? I need air and I need space. <laughs> Our body parts need it too. And it's like, so we we traverse space differently from, from the beginning. So great was the anxiety about women's strength that our sacred text, while we have two creation stories, you don't hear the one so much about, and in God's image we were created male and female. The story you were told was always the one where the rib was taken from Adam. Mm. Life had to come from a man because women were the givers of life. What a power we would have if that was the valued strength. Mm. But they were so upset about it. They they took the ancient story that life came from Adam, not from... from, I mean, it's just a basic flaw in the very telling of our sacred text. Not that it's not there. We can't erase it. Right. But there are certainly two stories. Right. And and we might see that in the context of men's fear and the ancient tribal fears around women's power that existed even then. Even just being a football player. It's like, and I, I entered, you know, sports at a later stage in life. Or, or rather football specifically, um, because I just, we weren't allowed to play. So this opportunity came later in life. Um, and wait, you mean you want me to tackle her, take her down, mm-hmm. and and run full speed against her, use force, use... So I was suddenly, I had the license to, to do things that, I typically don't do and I'm not supposed to do quote unquote do right because that level of aggression and that level of of exertion and and just freedom just wasn't condoned Mm -hmm. so I think if girls were um just given the opportunity given the opportunity to to flex those muscles quote unquote and and operate in the space from the beginning the same as a boy, meaning being on that street with with mm-hmm. the the those the those yep, yeah. um, you would see more women showing up, mm-hmm. just as you would see them in the sciences mm-hmm. and in engineering and in those spaces, just like yeah. in sports. Yeah, I think encouragement from a very young age, um, mm-hmm. yeah, is is so key. And I loved your stories too um, of growing up playing hockey, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I had an older brother who played, he was seven, I mean, I was really fortunate, so he was seven years older than me, And but he, I mean, from my perspective, I know that he did hold back, but from my perspective, <laughs> he played as if I was the same age, you know, he had me playing with his, his buddies, and I could hang, so he, yeah. they was like, if they need an extra player, they always kind of let me play, so I was very fortunate that my brother didn't care that I was a girl, or maybe didn't know that I was a girl, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know, um, and so, um, 
basically right when I was born. Like, there's a home video of me in my walker, and he's playing mini sticks through my walker. Like, he's, and I, I'm his defenseman. And, and so uh, I was one of the fortunate ones that right from the very beginning, I was able to be in those spaces of getting to play, getting to do all these different things. And um, my brother's friends would knock me down. And, and so, and I would get up and go tackle them and, and we play football in the yard. And so um, I was one of those fortunate ones. And growing up, I was, Oh, like people would, you know. Co- afterwards, now they tell, "Oh, great! Like we have the girl on our team. Like she's going to be bad." But and then I, w- I was able to sort of um, prove them wrong. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was just, I was athletic, and it was just sort of naturally came to me. Um, but then I hit that wall. So I don't know if this goes against what she's saying. Or I don't. I, I played boys hockey all the way through peewees, and I was always faster and. and and stronger and, and better and then all of a sudden um, that all changed <laughs> and and so I sort of learned to accept that and in high school um, I still trained with the boys but and even though I would train and I would eat and I would do all the things that our, our strength coach would tell us and um, but it became mm. like I all of a sudden I couldn't run as fast and I, I couldn't lift as much and even though I'd see a kid eating crap for lunch and he didn't do and he would be out whatever <laughs> yeah, like right, and right. he was and and I just couldn't. And so I don't know if that pushes back against the quote that you it read. Might, or yeah. I mean, it's only one case, and who knows if it were yeah. a bigger story of like the just the Ooh, dad and the numbers, and it's and one all person's that. thesis as well. Right. So you know, right. so I don't, I don't know. But but if if other girls had the experience that I had of mm. just um, having an older brother, or just having people who are just like, yeah, just go play, yeah. like scrape your knees and and mm-hmm. like yeah. whatever, and and what what would the story be without like? But also. Um, just self confidence and mm-hmm. being willing to go into other fields that um, maybe aren't as like aren't as many women and, and so um, yeah I don't yeah. know it's an interesting and I don't want to dismiss like the differences yeah right. you know no, like no. they're very real and I, I appreciate like you're saying it's they're uh, what was it that you said um, they're different and not one is better or one superior and one inferior right right? so i think that's where we're asking sort of humanity and culture Mm -hmm. to have a bigger imagination yeah Yeah, for sure then then strength and speed is the only measure of of athletic excellence but there's something i noticed there's there's so many other other things that go into it there's coordination and agility and strategy and all of that that Mm -hmm. goes into it for sure there was something I noticed, um, the, the difference between your games and NHL games, um, is there's a, there's a sense of fluidity and, um, a coordination that doesn't exist at the professional men's game. I, I see it at like younger ages, um, mostly because I think that there's that, that constant coaching of like work together as a team versus at a professional level, everybody's trying to mm. earn their contract. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. um, but something like that exists. Well, at your again, that, that sort of that idea that, that, that women collaborate, right? Oh yeah, right? absolutely. So, so what is a team, mm-hmm. right? It's collaboration. Yeah. It's knowing that, that I'm, I might need to sort of move my strength in a different direction so that my teammate mm-hmm. who's better positioned to do her thing can do her thing yeah. without worrying about you needing to be the one that scores. And yeah. I think that's a, that's something that, um, is a bit hardwired mm-hmm. within women, even evolutionarily speaking mm-hmm. is hardwired in women. Yeah. We protect our, our community better when we work together mm-hmm. And I think that's something that kind of pushes against kind of the yeah. the uh, athletic narrative of of the biggest, the strongest, the star yeah. is the one that's most valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a, another question: um, How can equality exist inside a church when women are excluded from the very root of Christianity? For example, the father, the son, 
the Holy Ghost. I know where it's going. Where are the Where are the women in this? <laughs> yeah. Well, can we talk about question. language? Okay, mm, let's yeah, talk let's go about language. Let's go there. Let's talk about how language. Uh, comes out of a human context, right? Mm. It comes out of a human experience uh, of a time and a place. Um, so does religion mm-hmm. come out of a context of a time and a place. They're both human constructs. They're trying to capture reality. They're trying to convey truth, right? But they are limited. Yeah. But what happens is, is when we when we put language in the service of religion, we say it's not unlimited, right? It's eternal. It's true, right? That that is. That's bogus, right? It's still language, religion, theology, history is written by the winners, right? So that's who gets to define what's what. So this masculine nature of God, which is all over the scripture, I will not deny it, was written by cultures for whom the only power brokers possible were male. So if you're talking about God as the ultimate manifestation of power, the most powerful we can imagine, and I'd love to redefine power, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. Process, right? Um, but, but if we're going to talk about what's the most powerful agent we know as an ancient community it's male it's an older male right it's a it's a land owning slave owning multiple wife owning male right that's what the culture presented as the the only vehicle for power was the masculine so if you're going to choose language to describe ultimate power you're going to choose male language you're basically going to project what you see in the emperor or the tyrant onto this ultimate source of power in, in the ancient mind, right? So when you're describing um, the Trinity or you're describing, you know, even Jesus used the, used the word Father mm-hmm. when he's talking about God. What's interesting, though, is Jesus actually used the word Abba, which means Daddy, mm-hmm. all right? It's baby talk. Yeah. It is that, it, it reveals sort of this intimacy with a parent that is not a masculine power dominant kind of thing. So, you know, we, we can't deny that the scriptures are filled with masculine language and masculine imagery for God, but we have to acknowledge who wrote it. Yeah. And I think that's really, when I get into into conversations with folks who challenge uh, my legitimacy as a woman or who challenge my congregation's legitimacy as a significantly LGBTQ congregation, it always boils down to a, a conflict over how we understand scripture, yeah. right? So if you see scripture as a human construct, you can get beyond the language. Um, and, so, and so I think that that's the first step. Are you willing to reevaluate your understanding of scripture? Mm-hmm. If you're not, we are stuck not only in a patriarchal world, but in a first century hierarchical limited world. Mm-hmm. And you know that's not the way. You know, the, the, that's not the way even the most traditional churches operate. They do not want to go there. They do not want to go all the way back there. But you pick and choose. And you pick and choose what remain, what keeps you in power. Yeah. You know, and so that's really sort of what happens within, within the churches. And breaking through that takes a lot of education. It also takes exposure. Yeah. You know, a lot of folks, once they, um, initially they see me and, and they're a little shocked. But then we start to talk and they start to see that I've done my work, right? I've done my scholarship. Uh, I've done my, my training. Um, I have as much of an authentic call to ministry as, as my beloved uncle, you know, the priest had, just in a very different package. Um, I think exposure is really important. But 
But it's very difficult in very traditional communities to let go of that authoritative nature of Scripture as divinely transmitted to humanity instead of being seen as the human telling of our quest for an experience of God. All right, so what's your favorite trinity that's not male? <laughs> so in the United Church of Christ, um, again, shameless plug, we use what God does instead of anthropomorphically describing God. So when I baptize a baby, I baptize that child in the name of God, the Creator, Christ, the Redeemer, and the Spirit, our strength. So we're talking about creating, redeeming, and sustaining. Why does it have to be anthropomorphized to reflect male hierarchy? It does not, you know. So it's breaking it out. It's breaking it out of that. You know, and I also love, and shout out to Richard Rohr, one of the most feminized, not feminized, I'm sorry, (laughs) feminist um, men out there, Mm -hmm. um, that he sees the Trinity in a very... Mm -hmm. Uh, Greek, ancient Greek theological way is perichoresis, the dance, the dance of love between three entities. Mm. One is not on top, you know, the other one subject, all are participating in this dance. And I think that's the breakthrough between Jacob's ladder and Sarah's circle. Right, so the, the the male sort of hierarchy climbing up, and the women sort of joining hands, yeah. circling around, and again, it's you know why do we value one over the other? Can we just kind of see them both as as contributing mm-hmm. to the human experience? But we've so privileged one over the other, and we've just got to stop that, yeah. folks. You got to get a, get in this service on Sundays. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tell us where where can we find you on Sundays. Where well, we... we're, we're 10.30 a.m. at 40 South Fullerton Avenue in Montclair, First Congregational Church, www.firstcogmontclair.org. <laughs> shameless plug. Find it. us on <laughs> Facebook. There's your shameless plug. Love shameless it. plug. So um, to kind of wrap things up, um, if we could go around the table and just um, share one thought of sort of hopefulness or a vision um, for women in your field, um, something you might... Uh, share with a young girl who is uh, anticipating or, or moving into that kind of environment where you are, uh, something you would say, or maybe something that you see taking place in the in the future in kind of, I guess, a prophetic way, although it's not how I would usually define prophecy, but yeah. Who was my coordinator last night? Was it Victoria, you said? Yeah, Vicky. Yeah. Vicky. Mm-hmm. Vicky gave me a word of hope last night. She mm-hmm. said, um, the young women are not tired. <laughs> they are not tired. The young women are educated in ways that past generations have not been. And she told me they are connected. This this technology, they are connected. And I found that to be the most hopeful thing that I've heard Mm. thus far. Love it. You know, as I mentioned before, sometimes it feels like very small steps, but they're real. I mean, I'm here tonight. And I think that we can't forget to celebrate um, the times in which we... Uh, experience that that real integration between who we are as women and what we do, you know. And I, and I think that you know we've told stories tonight about ways that we either were told that we couldn't do something, 
uh, because that we were women or ways that we acknowledge that we were included even as women and how powerful you know that that was for us so i think that acknowledging and celebrating the times when we do step into our own and we are really uh seen as as you know the the leaders or the thinkers or the changers that we are um and i'm i'm so gratified to hear about you know what what vicky said last night um because I do think that we are we are really on the cusp, and I think this current political situation is showing us that um, that we really are on a cusp of a watershed moment for the culture recognizing the gifts of women. And so I think it is sort of keep the faith and and hang in there and recognize that um, breakthroughs do happen and that when we can celebrate them together, we gain sort of that that strength and that that, um, energy for the next stage of the journey. I really appreciate you saying that, Kelly, about not, not being tired, that they're not tired. Sometimes I'm just, I'm, I'm obliterated. Um, and that gives me strength and responsibility to kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Cause it, what I'm doing is right and, and necessary. Um, I'm just thinking about one of the biggest reasons why I left my church was, you know, the lead pastor was doing a sermon, um, on Easter Sunday and it was, a over an hour long service and the only line that was etched into my memory was when he said this line the one liner of throwing like a girl and he used um sort of a very feminine um degrading tone is like throwing like a girl and and actually the other um pastor often did that when imitating a woman's voice and it's like, well, if this is a leader of a, a thousands and thousands of thousand person uh, congregation, um, it views women like that as throwing like a girl. And by the way, always the company did this phenomenal, like, um, you know, marketing series. I don't know if you see Shelly's yeah. like nodding <laughs> of what throwing like a girl is and like throwing like a girl is strong. Yes. <laughs> and, and and fierce and amazing. Um so that gives me hope that that we we need to continue teaching and we need to continue educating. And mind you, I wrote my that lead pastor an email <laughs> after the service. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. It, maybe it fell on deaf ears is actually is but maybe it didn't because now that church today has for the first time in its history female uh women pastors, mm-hmm. lead pastors. Yeah. Um, and it took a really long time for them to get there, but I'm really proud that they did. Um, and what I will say to all my girls out there is you can't win if you don't play. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a mentor of mine told me a long time ago, um, that really helped me was I didn't see myself as a leader. I didn't see myself as capable, able, smart enough, strong enough, or X skill required to be in that, that space, right? Because those are the experts. Those are the smart people. Those are the strong people. You always see like them and then you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, heck, 
just go for it. <laughs> like, right. really? Right. What do you have to lose? Right. You go to a tryout and you don't make the cut. You you getting in there. So, um, and and to my boys out there, I say, remember who's not there. Look around and say, oh snap, I forgot, and that's okay. Own it, and now do something about it. Well said. <laughs> um, I guess I would say, I mean, in the realm of, of sports, but to girls who are playing, you know, playing for their high schools or, or colleges, and, and the fa- and the stands are empty, and then there's a men's or boys game right after you, and the stands are packed. Um, don't feel like you're less worthy um, because what you do is important, even though other people might not recognize it. Um, and as you know. Playing professionally, our playoff games were packed. We have we have fans coming through, getting autographs after every game, and um, there are supporters out there, even if they're not in your hometowns of of Massachusetts or Minnesota or New Jersey or whatever. Um, so, so if you love to play or love to do whatever it is that you do, keep doing it. Um, and I guess if it's a message to the boys out there, go watch your girlfriends or <laughs> play their sport and, and be excited for them when they're playing their sport um, even if maybe your buddies aren't going or get your buddies to go um, uh, because the sport is just as incredible yeah. so. awesome. well with that um, to a female future <laughs> <laughs>